Hello, I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. And this morning, I'm uh, pleased to be joined by Kara Marsiscano, analyst at Wisdom Tree. Good morning, Kara. Great to have you. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. We were talking about the ETF that Wisdom Tree launched uh, May of last year. Full disclosure, you know, Applico works with Wisdom Tree on licensing data for, for this Plat ETF. Tell us more about it. There's there's an update in the past week or so. What was the update and 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 what's what's noteworthy about it? The last time we spoke, it was early June, right? And at that point, Platt was up 9% year to date. And we like to compare Platt to the NASDAQ 100 index a lot of times because it's sort of this premier large cap growth benchmark. It's really tough to beat. So at that point, Platt was up 9%. The NASDAQ 100 was up 10%. Um, so they were neck and neck. And then since then, you know, over the past two months, the last time I was on the show, Plata started to outpace the NASDAQ 100 index a little bit. And it's now up 31% year to date, while the NASDAQ's up 28%. So, you know, a bit of outperformance there, and that's no easy feat. And if we look at, you know, the large cap growth space generally, um, some of the largest large cap growth ETFs out there that Plat competes with from you know, companies like Vanguard and iShares, these massive asset managers, um, Plat is outperforming them by you know, eight to 10 percentage points. And that's a really um, big margin for a performance year to date. Um, and what that, what that is telling us is that you know, the way that investors have traditionally accessed growth um, is not necessarily leading to the strongest performance year to date when growth is you know, as an exposure is outperforming value by some of the widest margins ever. Um, but, you know, we did make some changes to Platt at the end of July that just went into play. And, you know, those are really enhancements to the strategy. But what's really important to emphasize is, you know, the core exposure of Platt is not changing, you know, whatsoever. It's still investing in platform businesses that are fast growing and disruptive and the reason we haven't touched that part of the fund is we continue to have super high conviction um, in the research that Applico does and in platform businesses. And we still think that these businesses are some of the most disruptive and fast growing and that they're you know, going to deliver outperformance and outsized growth versus you know, some of the other growth exposures that are out there. So what we did do um, was a little bit of rebranding. Um, and we changed a little bit of the mechanics of the way that we're providing exposure to platform businesses. Uh, so from a rebranding perspective, what we've done is we've renamed the fund. Um, so the fund is now the Wisdom Tree Growth Leaders ETF. And the reason for the renaming is just you know, to really give investors a sense of the type of exposure they're getting with Plat. We want it to be competitive in the large cap growth space. And we've also lowered the expense ratio by 25 basis points. It's now a 20 basis point fund, the Wisdom Tree Growth Leaders Fund, I think that, you know, overall signals to investors that you're, they're getting growth with this fund, and it's going to be more competitive um, in that space. Um, some of the more substantial changes that we've made in terms of mechanics are we've introduced a revenue growth requirement to the fund that we didn't have previously. So in order for a platform to make it into the fund and the index, it has to have at least 7% revenue growth. And the reason for that is, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting the fastest growing companies in the fund. And you also want to, you know, potentially identify those companies that are 
later in the growth stage cycle than some of the, you know, perhaps younger, earlier stage growth companies. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that these companies that have below 7% growth rates aren't great businesses to own. Um, they just might be in a more mature growth stage of their, of their business. Um, so that was one change we made. And then the other, you know, perhaps most significant change uh, that we put in place was the weighting mechanism of the companies in Platt. So before the fund was purely equally weighted, so every name in there had an equal chance of contributing to performance, um, you know, at rebalance. Now that the fund is a modified version of equally weighted and market cap weighted, we're reducing some of the tracking risk to the large cap growth benchmarks, like we mentioned, the NASDAQ 100. Um, and what that means is if you look at large cap growth exposures, um, because they do own companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, those are massive market cap names. So simply by equally weighting them like we were with Platt previously, um, you actually end up being significantly underweight those massive names that actually are platforms. Um, and so you're sort of indirectly taking a bet against them. So by doing a modified cap of market cap and equal cap weighted, you're reducing some of that tracking risk and taking that off the table, which we thought was important to do. So we've done that and reduced some tracking risk. And the other changes that we've made have sort of been at the margin where we're limiting non-US exposure to 12%. And within that 12%, 5% is going to be allocated to China. And we've also introduced a security cap. So only 9% of the fund can be held in a single company. Um, so that's sort of an overview of what we've done. And we can talk about how, you know, Platt continues to be significantly different from some of the large cap growth exposures, but we're really excited about what we put in place. Still all platforms. Right. About 51 stocks in the basket now versus, you know, roughly 80 uh, before. Um, more than having the, uh, the, the fee on it, right? I think that's a, that's a nice point, 45 to 20 basis points. And I think limiting the, the, the foreign exposure, the Chinese exposure, a uh, very timely move given, given uh, current events. Conceptually, this is now the Wisdom Tree Growth Leaders Fund, right? That's the... That's the name. That's the the new name for it. When you think about the decision to say why this is going to be Wisdom Tree's um, primary growth fund, um, you know, I guess how did how did that decision come about? What was the thought process behind um, why Platt, basically? So, if you think about what's been happening year to date, what we've really seen is you know growth totally outperforming value stocks. And we took a look at, you know, what was really working for growth. And we identified, you know, sort of what we already had in place with Platt. We, all of the companies that were working year to date and that were the growth, you know, actually leaders, we held in Platt. And just by looking at what was going on in terms of the weighting mechanism, we were just, we already had what we needed. Um, we had the growth leaders. We just maybe weren't weighting them exactly how we wanted to, you know, get the maximum sort of exposure to the true, true leaders. Um, so if you look at what's going on in the market today, the asset heavy businesses, you know, a simple example is looking at things like airlines. Um, one of the other names that, you know, has contributed to Platt's strong performance year to date has been a company like Intel. Um, and they're sort of in that 
you know, supply and production supply chain. And they recently announced that their production is, you know, not going according to plan a little bit slower than expected. And that was really, really negatively perceived by the market. And because Platt won't own um, some of those Infotech supply and production names, that's really helped the fund year to date. So even within, you know, sort of the Infotech space, which is always perceived as the growthy part of the market, um, by having this platform selection, you're avoiding those asset heavy businesses that are super sensitive um, to production news during the coronavirus pandemic right now. Um, and it's just a different way to access growth. So you're not going to own those semiconductors, but you are going to maybe own some of the software companies that have benefited in a time like today. I think that's very well said. Some could say that you're zeroing in on a certain kind of tech company, right? I mean, these, by definition, all of these platform companies are going to have software as an integral part of their business. They right. could also have hardware technology, right? Like Apple. Um but you don't have to have hardware. Whereas you have right. a lot of these other f funds uh, that you were mentioning that, you know, do have this kind of tech hardware exposure or this more like linear, it's still a tech, tech quote unquote tech company, but it's, it's, it's asset heavy or there's kind of tech manufacturing or it's just a linear business. Um, and we've seen now these, uh, these platform businesses just continue to, to outperform. Uh, which makes a lot of sense. What about, you know, with the rebalance here and now 51 stocks, what would you say in terms of um, kind of cross industry exposure? Uh, is, is that still a, a dynamic of, of the basket? Yeah. And it's actually what makes Platt super unique to other growth strategies. So I'm looking at the sector and industry exposure of Platt versus, you know, things like the NASDAQ 100 index, the S&P 500 growth index, Russell 1000 growth index. And, you know, a lot of the growth funds out there actually, you know, they pretty much just track the S&P 500 growth or the Russell 1000 growth. Um, and those benchmarks have about 50% of their sector exposure in Infotech alone. Um, so they're essentially, you know, tech strategies. Platt, on the other hand, has 30% in Infotech, 30% in communication services, and 20% in consumer discretionary. And it's also got, you know, a bit of financials, industrials, healthcare, and real estate exposure. So you're going to have more diversity across um, sectors with Platt because, you know, we're investing, yes, in tech-enabled businesses, but not just growth tech businesses. Um, and also from a country perspective, it's, you know, pretty different from what you're getting from a lot of the growth exposures out there. So like we were saying, we introduced that 12% non-U.S. country cap. So 12% of Platt is going to be in companies outside of the U.S., while the other growth exposures out there are almost 100% U.S. exposure. Um, and if you really do want to get exposure to global growth, you do need to have a little bit more than 98% of your country exposure um, in the U.S. So Platt's really different from, you know, the other growth ETFs and benchmarks out there. You can see the performance year to date. I mean, year to date, actually, looks like we're at 31%. Since inception, wow, basically 46%. That's from May of, of last year. And when, you know, we compare against the S&P 500 since inception, <clears throat> 
It's like 25% greater, right? Um, you'd have $12,000 today in the S&P and you'd have 14,000, almost 600 uh, in plat. It's um, pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. Yeah, it's a great chart. I would say like, you know, people will obviously ask like, why has performance been so strong? And, you know, you can obviously dig into the individual names that are contributing. Um, but from, you know, a higher level, you know, you think about what the other growth funds out there and even the S&P 500, you know, it is because it does have those top five names in, you know, platforms and growth names. Um, it is sort of like a, a growth strategy indirectly. Um, but growth funds out there, they're screening for just sort of fundamentals like EPS growth or sales growth, you know, maybe another few fundamentals here or there. But there is something elusive about growth, identifying growth as a factor, as a fundamental factor. And it's not like the value factor where there is a lot of consensus around, you know, how do you screen for value? There's something elusive. And we think there is a qualitative component of identifying growth companies, which is, you know, obviously why we love working with your research and using your data as a signal because it is a mix of both qualitative and quantitative. And that's what's really unique about Platt. It's not just looking for companies with superior sales and earnings growth. It's looking for the qualitative component of platform businesses. Love it. Well, Kara, it was um, great to have you on this morning. We're really excited to see, you know, it's been great likewise to, to be working with Wisdom Tree. Um, you know, I, I think it was very interesting. I mean, it took us years to, to actually, you know, find a partner like yourself and then, and then, you know, another maybe year or so, whatever, to, to actually get this fund going. Um, but, you know, personally, from having talked to a lot of the different firms out there, um, this really, it, it, we got a lot of no's. Doesn't mean that the strategy is wrong. It just means that it is conceptually a very different way to think about structuring a financial product. And um, I think just your your peers in the industry were were not as willing to um, basically try out something new, uh, and you know, and and kind of go for this. It's kind of like a thematic type of fund, but there's this kind of business model overlay across it. It, it is a very unique approach to a fund. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think it was, it was just great finding that kind of uh, kindred spirit in wisdom tree and yourself and the team over there that we could, that we could put this uh, product together, but yeah, it's very unique and there literally is nothing else out there like it. Um, so uh, I think I think it'll be really interesting to see now. You know, the back half of 2020, how it performs. We've certainly seen um, so far. You know, those those key two attributes, right? When there's a dip, it dips less, and then it bounces back faster. And everyone likes to say that you know their product or their fund has those dynamics. Um, and I think we've seen that the proof is in the pudding, and these platform stocks. Are literally the you know the epitome of of those two attributes. So growth leaders. Yep. Yeah. The growth leaders exactly. So on that note, Kara, thank you so much for joining. Hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. So <clears throat> next topic. Next topic is 
Another topic very close to my heart called TikTok. I've spoken a few times on the show about TikTok, um, about, you know, the, um, I don't know, maybe over a month ago now, I expected it to to run into trouble, to be banned uh, before this executive order was recently signed. I think maybe just over the weekend uh, by president or in the past week or so, this executive order has been signed. And so um, now everyone has an opinion. Everyone's coming out with an opinion about, oh, well, is it good to ban TikTok? Is it not good to ban TikTok? What kind of precedent does it set? And, you know, my general feeling on it is, and I'm going to give an example here. My general feeling on it is everything in this country has become so politicized that I I, want to give people the benefit of the doubt because it just seems like they're not able to create and own independent thought for themselves, right? When you kind of look at the narrative around, is it good or bad for us, for the US to be taking action against TikTok and WeChat? You know, you have very well-reputed kind of American leaders, thinkers, I'm going to highlight a couple of them, which their reaction to this ban is very peculiar. Um, So let me give my example about what my analogy of what I take this TikTok ban to be like. Let's say... You have two kids, right? Um, <clears throat> two children, and they're friends. One child, his or her family, invites the other child over very frequently uh, to play, to have play dates, right? And then there's no reciprocity, right? The child that always gets invited over, that child's family doesn't mean the child's a bad person, but that child's family doesn't invite that friend over to, to play dates, right? So it's a one-sided play date relationship. And to add insult to injury, the child that gets invited over to this very nice family's house um, comes over wearing a wire or wearing a GoPro, recording everything that happens while they're in the house because you know that child's family says, oh, well, we need to... We need to ensure that our, our child is safe. But then, you know, you you have fears about, well, I don't know. Like, I don't want this. I don't want everything in my household to be videotaped and then going back to this other child's house. And I don't know this other child's family because that other child's family never invites my kid over to play at their house. So you have the tale of two uh, unreciprocated play dates between these two kids. It doesn't mean that the children are bad. It doesn't mean that inherently the companies in this analogy are bad. But what it does mean is that the governments behind them think very differently about monitoring, about privacy, about the rule of law, etc. And just like any family would want their child to succeed, if you have U.S. families or you have Chinese families, those families want to see their own country mates be successful. And so with that context, let me jump into a couple examples here. The information, it's like a media publication. Um, They interviewed Larry Summers. Larry Summers was the former president of Harvard University. He also was the treasury secretary of the United States. This guy's a smart guy. But when it comes to the topic of China, he's not so smart. So let's read this. 
What do you think about President Trump's recently signed executive order to block all transactions with TikTok and Tencent? I was surprised. One of the hallmarks of the difference between American capitalism and capitalism in many emerging markets has been American capitalism is defined by the rule of law, by the absence of randomly exercised discretion, and by predictability. And none of this seems consistent with those values. It was also very unclear what the rationale was, at least to me. If there was sufficiently egregious espionage activity, I could imagine taking radical action, but that case has not been made. What planet are you living on, Larry? You don't think that the case has not been made that all the data going into these Chinese servers, whether it's for TikTok, WeChat, etc., or any of these Chinese tech monopolies, that case has not been made that the Chinese government is all that data is feeding into the CCP and they're actively actually forcing um, rules and, and, and taking penalizing action on people based on their behavior inside the platform. We've covered this for the coronavirus where you had doctors and nurses using WeChat in the early days of the virus to try and communicate with others and get the word out about what was happening. And the government uh, read the, these messages through WeChat, owned by Tencent, and then basically penalize these people. They, they had the police haul them in, interrogate them, talk to their families, threaten them, arrest them, and take action and basically say, you know, you can't talk about this. You can't tell anyone. And, we, and, and you, you know, basically lock down these communication platforms, which are supposed to help people communicate. I would not allow it to happen. So this to me, he's a smart guy. Larry Summers knows that the Chinese government gets all the data from TikTok, but he's acting dumb. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a smart guy, but he's acting dumb. If there were sufficiently large threats around sabotage of networks, I could imagine action. Again, he's acting dumb. I'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt here because I don't want to call him anything else. Uh, but... Let's look at the UC, USCIS decision against Grindr's acquisition by a Chinese private equity firm. Grindr, the uh, dating app for the LGBT community, um, was you know US company, right? But was acquired by a Chinese company. And the USCIS struck that down for concerns over national security. We've talked about that many times on the show where you have you know, sensitive information getting into the hands of the Chinese government. Um, like, you know, if you're a government official and what your sexual preferences are, that, and if, and if you don't want people to know that, that could be uh, information or, or leverage that, that now the Chinese government has on you. And there's plenty of precedent around, you know, them running very sophisticated, largely coordinated um, efforts to apply pressure to government officials, actually like, over LinkedIn and, and all of our social networks, as well-documented. And now for TikTok, right, running up to this before the whole India ban, we saw the Navy banning, um, uh, you know, um, sailors using TikTok because now Chinese government could see, oh, look at all these people watching war videos. And, and they seem to all be clustered in this one part of the ocean because it can get your location. And then you say, oh, I wonder if a ship is there, <laughs> right? Um, so probably not a good idea for the sailors to have TikTok running on their phone. Um, so th I think there's plenty of examples of this. And I just don't think the guy wants to be honest, right? I'm, 
I, I don't think he really believes this. I just, I just don't think he wants to be honest or, or address the truth. Threats are part of negotiation, and I can imagine making threats in the context in the negotiation, but this seemed a, as much a strategy of distraction from other troubles as anything else. So now he's alluding uh, Trump is just doing this to, to take you know, distraction away from other domestic political issues that he is going on. Okay. That's one, that's one example. Let's go to another example. PitchBook, this thing, this uh, data service we pay a bunch of money for. Now Trump has set a new precedent, and already there are signs that China won't take the bans of WeChat and TikTok lying down. A government spokesman accused the U.S. of, en- of, the US of engaging in political manipulation and oppression, and TikTok called the bans a dangerous precedent for the concept of free expression and open markets. Boy, is that rich. Um, The immediate implications of Trump's moves are myriad. TikTok finds itself in the midst of negotiations with Microsoft. Okay. A ban on WeChat. Okay. Now this is, this is the empathy paragraph. A ban on WeChat, the dominant chat and messaging app in China would make it harder for people of Chinese descent in the U.S. to communicate with friends and family in China. One of the internet's early promises was that it would connect the world, bringing us all closer together. Here's the altruism, creating a new global community of cooperation and communication. On the surface, apps like TikTok and WeChat embody that dream. Oh, do they? But for politicians and national security experts, worries are made about what's beneath the surface. No one wants to address. It's not even an elephant in the room. It's just super obvious that if you're trying to benefit the country of America, and we have a lot of global listeners on, on the show, right? So everyone can appreciate this fact, right? Just like our little US family, my analogy earlier, right? You, there's nothing wrong with being a patriot. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see companies or, or your own country, men and women, uh, be successful, um, you know, uh, have a happy life, have a better, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, purchasing power, better, better life, right? Better uh, expendable income, right? You want to see your country succeed. And uh, hopefully that's not a confrontational statement to make, but it seems like sometimes it is because when you think about it, there's no reciprocity between the U.S. and China. Yes, the internet was supposed to bring everyone together, but you want to know who polluted that? It was the CCP and the Chinese government, not the United States, okay? It was the Chinese government putting up the Great Firewall, the internet firewall, uh, not allowing in any other U.S. or foreign tech companies to operate in China, right? That, That wasn't the U.S., that was China, but no one wants to call that out. No one wants to say that, oh, well, U.S. tech companies haven't been able to operate in China. And, and Apple, being the only one that does, has to store all their data in China, has to give all the encryption keys to the Chinese government, right? Because they want that control. You know, that's why Facebook never went into China because they didn't want their servers stored there. So you have Larry Summers. You've got this, you know, all these different pundits saying, oh, oh, this is, this is not what was meant to happen to the internet. It's very simple. If you want U.S. companies to be on equal footing, don't need to give them an extra advantage. It's just equal footing, right? Where if Chinese tech companies can come into the United States and compete, which is fine, then shouldn't U.S. companies have that same ability to go into China and compete 
Wouldn't that make sense? That's just point one, okay? Point two is there's clear tracings of the CCP using this data coercively to benefit their own country, the Chinese government, to you know provide government um, information, leverage, whatever it is, right? To advance the the whatever the whims are of the CCP. Let's look at let's look at this example. Um, let's look at two examples here. So this is this was from 2018. TikTok founder 2018 pledged to promote socialist core values and devotion to the Chinese Communist Party. Founder and CEO of TikTok, uh, Zhang Yiming, recently pledged to use his company to promote socialist core values and foster adherence to the Chinese Communist Party's ideology, political thinking, and deeds. He had to apologize because, you know, he made a boo-boo, and so he had to do a public apology and, and pledge his allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party. Otherwise, bad things would happen not only to his company, but probably his family. In the past, this is what he wrote in this thing in 2018. In the past, we have placed too much emphasis on the role of technology and failed to realize that socialist core values are the prerequisite to technology. The deep-seated problems for the company included a weak understanding of the four consciousness, a lack of socialist core values, and a biased guidance of public opinion. Four consciousness is a term favored by President Xi which is explained by the Chinese Communist Party to foster adherence to party ideology, political thinking, and deeds. While apologizing for failing to live up to the guidance and expectations of the authorities, TikTok CEOs repeatedly insisted the app has no links to the CCP, admitted that TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, has received a lot of guidance and help from authorities. You know, even if Zhang believes this or doesn't, the point is he has to say it. And if he doesn't say it, bad things are going to happen. That's obvious. Everyone knows that. Bad things like this. This person, Agnes Chow, um, and, uh, and Hong Kong media mogul Jimmy Lai, and eight others were arrested. These, this is the founder of a newspaper called the Apple Daily. They've raided the offices. They're taking all their documents out. It's really a shame, really a shame to see what's happening here. Um, so to get caught up and say, oh, you know, America, freedom, capitalism, you know, the, 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 what's that saying? You can't, uh, you can't like see the pasture beyond the trees. I mean, they, they, they don't want to admit reality, uh, whether that's Larry Summers, whether that's these other media pundits and so on and so forth. There is capitalism in this country. There is free speech in this country. There is the rule of law in this country. None of this goes against that. And there's a great article that I'm about to share from uh, Ben Thompson. Ben Thompson, you know, basically, if you want to get the, the, the good news or the real news, it's either Ben Thompson and winner take all. Because everyone else that talks about this, I... I don't know what's happened to them. It's like a robot has taken control of them. Does Trump have authority to do this? And Ben does a great job of saying, yeah, actually, he has uh, all the authority that he needs. And you can see that here. Trump's executive order relies on the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, the IEEPA, which grants the president wide-ranging authority to regulate international commerce after, after declaring a national emergency. Trump did that last year in this executive order 
where he was targeting Huawei. Remember that? And he was able to take action against Huawei with no problem. Um, he goes on to say, right, so that executive order was, was about Huawei and ZTE. Those are the, the telecom, the infrastructure Chinese companies. Um, and then the Supreme Court upheld its opinion because that executive order was challenged in court. And basically, the Supreme Court gave him wide-standing authority and uh, you know approval that 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 he had the ability to limit this international commerce into the United States. So, what is it? What does this IEEPA say to to give the president this authority that the president may investigate, block during the pendency of an investigation, regulate, direct, and compel? Nullify, void, prevent, or prohibit any acquisition, holding, withholding, use, transfer, withdrawal, transportation, importation, or exportation of, or dealing in, or exercising any right, power, or privilege with respect to, or transactions involving any property in which any foreign country, any foreign country, or a national thereof has any interest by any person. Right, so any foreign country or foreign national, or with respect to any property, property owned by a foreign national or country, subject to the ju- jurisdiction of the United States. Basically saying he can do pretty much anything he wants. It's not just China specific. It's any foreign uh, country or power. And not to mention, actually what Ben doesn't talk about is the USCIS, as I've mentioned, actually the USCIS did an investigation. This counters Larry Summers' naivete um, about about TikTok having national security concerns. And the USCIS, the same committee that struck down the Grindr acquisition uh, by that Chinese private equity firm, the USCIS identified national security concerns in TikTok for similar reasons why they blocked the Grindr, um, the acquisition of Grindr by that Chinese private equity firm. So you actually have investigations that have concluded there's a national security threat. You have power, he has the power to do this regardless of whether or not that investigation occurred and had the conclusion that it did. But the point is he has full authority to do this. And the point is that it's time to level the playing fields. It's time to both level the playing fields and just do basic things for national security. You've seen, seen India do it, 59 different apps. I think, you know, slowly now you're seeing Europe uh, get on the bandwagon around Huawei and ZTE. You know, the, it is, I, I don't know why it's so hard to grasp that the CCP is not a good government. Okay, just full stop. There are many issues um, and you don't want your data to be viewed and consumed and manipulated by the CCP. Those really shouldn't be contentious remarks to make, but for some weird reason, they are. For some weird reason, you have these would-be kind of uh, economic thought leaders in the country um, just don't really understand what's going on. They're just out of it. Maybe they just an old era. It's about time that that the U.S., India, solely Europe now have woken up to what's really going on and and taken some action here. So. The TikTok ban in conclusion is right. Uh, The fact that Chinese people that want to communicate with Chinese loved ones in China, and now that WeChat will be banned, 
and now those people are disadvantaged. That's not the United States' fault. That's the CCP's fault. It's the CCP that has only allowed WeChat to actually allow external communication because the Chinese government monitors every damn thing that is said on WeChat, as we've discussed at infinitum on this show. So that, that has nothing to do with the U.S. It's the Chinese government that has only allowed one app to have communication in and out of China. Making sense yet? So um, it's correct. Do I think the Microsoft acquisition of TikTok will work? Unfortunately, no, I really don't. Um, I think it's going to be banned. Maybe they buy it. Maybe they don't. I, I don't think it'll be a successful acquisition. I just think there's there's so much going on politically <clears throat> and just from a data, from a IP, just... From a, from a personnel and resourcing standpoint, you can't have all the Chinese engineers and product people in China work on TikTok. So now you got to get a whole new group of engineers and product people to, to now take over TikTok development and maintenance. And, um, oh, that is not going to go well. So I just think there's so many issues with it that, uh, I mean, if they buy it or they don't buy it, still Microsoft's over a trillion dollar company. It's honestly not of any material significance to Microsoft. I think, you know, TikTok as we know it is 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 pretty much kaput. Maybe it lives on through Microsoft or something, but I think it's going to be a rocky road for TikTok. And uh and they're rushing to get this deal done. They've probably got 35 days left or something. And I don't know. It seems like a nightmare, frankly. So, we'll see about that. Anyway, last topic. You might have thought Elon uh has enough on his plate. If you don't know Elon's background, actually Elon's, one of Elon's first breakout startups was a platform company called PayPal. Elon was the co-founder of that. If, if you want an example of someone epitomizing the American dream, uh, look no further than Elon Musk. The guy is from South Africa, comes to the United States, does this startup uh, in his 20s, PayPal, and... Um, uh, is one of, you know, the, the, there's a PayPal mafia, right? Like Reed Hoffman came out of PayPal. Peter Thiel's start as well, PayPal. Um, so you have, you know, a bunch of kind of what is modern day, like tech mafia coming out of PayPal, hence PayPal mafia. And so Elon took all of that money from PayPal and then sunk it into basically starting up a few other companies, one being Tesla SpaceX, there's a 60-minute video of, of Elon where he put all his money into these businesses. They were losing money. He'd put, he'd put maybe like 100 or $200 million into, into uh, SpaceX to get him th maybe three rocket launches. I think they needed a fourth rocket launch, which was going to cost like another $100 million. He already had like $100 million in debt or something on SpaceX, squandered away his fortune. And both of his businesses were on the verge of of imploding Tesla and SpaceX. And I think the guy actually flirted with crossing over the chasm into um, insanity. Actually, you can kind of see it in, in his face when he, right? These stress levels, when you're at that level of stress, I've had stressful periods in, in Applico's 11 year run um, to the point where I got the shakes, right? Like you're so stressed, you're, you know, 
you're in dire straits and you actually, I actually start to shake. So I have, I kind of saw something similar in Elon's eyes when he was talking about where he was. It was like Christmas of 08 or something like that. I think he was getting divorced. Both of his companies were about to go underwater and he had a bunch of debt. He's going to declare bankruptcy. He's sleeping on like Bill Gates's couch. That's Elon, right? Like his last rocket launch had blown up and didn't work. And I, I, so, you know, the definition of insanity is that you don't think you're crazy. You're crazy, but you don't think you're crazy. And I think that's actually where the stress was pushing him. Now, luckily, he got some government money, which is what uh, Bernie Sanders has been beating up on him recently. He got some loans, um, I think, from maybe like the Department of Energy for Tesla and maybe like a, a NASA contract or something for SpaceX. And he, and he rebounded. Um, and then the, f- the, the fourth, I think, rocket launch was a success. And then, you know, kind of SpaceX history. Anyway, what Elon has done as an entrepreneur is, is truly remarkable. And um, I, I love watching his Joe Rogan. You know, if you get a chance, he's, I think he's done maybe at least two different Joe Rogan kind of deep dives for a few hours each. The guy's, on, the guy's remarkable. Anyway, SpaceX Starlink. So outside of building now a multi-billion dollar rocket company that's going to take us to Mars and all these wonderful things, he has also been building his own internet called Starlink. And basically what these things are, show you some photos. Um, these are you down here. These are all the different satellites. So this was the launch. This was the launch of these, but here you can start to see as this loads, these are all the different satellites. So these are a bunch of little baby satellites. Um, this was from May of 2020. Let me zoom in on this. This is 60 Starlink satellites. And so basically, think of it as like a mesh network to provide internet. These satellites are uh, orbiting around the globe. And they will provide internet um, down to people down in the United States. Or, you know, but he's saying it's, it's going to help plug the gap for more rural places that don't have internet infrastructure, right? Where you, where you have to have all these lines installed, very heavy infrastructure. But you can now beam down the internet. Um, two parts of the U.S. that you know that that don't have it. Um, so there's this article reviews.org which talks about this. They think it's going to cost eighty dollars a month, and then you'll have a hundred to three hundred dollars worth of equipment to get this thing working, which is just unbelievable. So they've actually done a test. What this article talks about, which is pretty cool. Um, they this thing's already working, right? So he actually has hundreds of Starlink. This was sixty satellites that went up that was in one launch but he's been putting them up there for years an initial beta beta test partnership between the u.s air force and starlink called global lightning saw download speeds of 610 megabytes per second global lightning started in early 2018 and used two starlink satellites to send information to terminals inside a c-12 transport plane while it was in flight that's cool that's super cool. This thing is actually working, has been working for a couple of years. Now he's essentially just scaling this and putting a bunch more satellites, you know, because they do all these test runs for these, uh, for these rockets <laughs> to, to just test SpaceX, right? So kind of has like empty cargo. Um, so he's kind of, I guess it kind of is like, well, why don't I just launch an internet company? That guy's insane. Um, insanely awesome. So 
Now, let me bring this full circle with the topic just before this. You want to, you want to burst China's bubble, or for that matter, Russia's bubble. You want to espouse American ideals, American values, freedom, freedom of speech. You want to bring that philosophy abroad. What have all of these totalitarian, communist, dictatorship regimes done? They control information. They don't allow um, foreign tech companies to operate, right? They restrict what companies can operate. And if they do, they need access to all the data. Uh, and for the companies that do operate there, the, you know, the Chinese ones or the Russian ones for that matter, they have to provide all this information over to the government. And we've seen a myriad of examples of this, right? Where whether it's the, the, the doctors in Wuhan with the coronavirus or now these uh, journalists in Hong Kong, the Apple Daily. You do something that the government doesn't like, you and your family are at risk. Um, now, <clears throat> what would single-handedly burst that bubble is something like Starlink. So, if you, it, now I don't know exactly what it takes. Like, how do you it, do? You, all you need is this uh, hundred to three hundred dollar piece of equipment, and now you can beam down internet from Starlink. But it's clearly been said multiple times in all the articles that I read, this thing is global. He is launching it with the intent of focusing and, and selling the product and service into the United States. But what is to stop anyone from elsewhere around the world if you have this kind of receiver piece of equipment, kind of like a transmitter, that you can now beam down internet from Starlink and have access to unfettered, um, unregulated internet? Oh boy. Oh boy. And by the way, you can't just shoot these satellites down because there's thousands of them up there. So you got to shoot down thousands of them and that's not going to be easy or just practical. It may seem a little bit dark. I'm actually very optimistic. I'm actually very positive. I'm, I'm very optimistic that um, eventually our leaders in the United States will... I think they have brains. I just don't think they're using them or voicing their true opinions. I, I think they just are, uh, I don't know, you know, just, just not wanting to be, not wanting to recognize the truth. So I think that'll change. I think eventually that'll change. I think eventually, you know, people will understand um, about just basic facts, wanting to make American companies, or if you're in India, Indian companies, or if you're in England, English companies successful. You want to have a fair operating environment. You want to have reciprocal um you know, reciprocal operating environments for your companies to operate, you know, fairly in your country, but also in other countries. And that is really the role of government to help ensure that your, your citizens, right, are treated fairly domestically and abroad, that your companies are treated fairly domestically and abroad. I think that'll change. I think people will, will get behind that. And I think that as we've seen kind of the internet now, 25 years or so, 20, 30 years into the internet, where we seem to have a systemic tightening about speech, about what's allowed, what's not allowed, fake news, not fake news, about platforms wanting to be the arbiter of what is real and not real or what's appropriate and not appropriate. I think we will start to turn a corner where we go, we shift back to openness, where we shift back to openness, both in, in how platforms are operated, either by the introduction of new startup platforms that compete 
or um, with regulation that forces platform monopolies to um, to be more open rather than more closed and more of like a publisher and editor of content on them, which I'm not a fan of, um, or taking advantage of third-party sellers. And, um, and lastly, in closing, I think you'll start to see new technological disruptions like Starlink and others that will help bring that openness and these kind of American ideals to other parts of the globe. Unfortunately, I think the past you know, few years or decade or so, we, we've kind of seen a restriction of this and we, we've seen things go in the other direction. But I think there are signs here that the next five, 10 years uh, will look different and do present quite different opportunities uh, in the future. So I'm going to end it on a positive note. I really do believe that. Thanks for joining us today on Winner Take All. I will talk to you later this week.